Good morning. Good morning. Nice to see you. Uh, does everybody have a handout? If you don't, it would be nice to get one. There's one on some of the empty chairs, so just get up and get one if you don't have one. And if you didn't get one last week, they'll be back there. So uh, today we're going to talk about the divine feminine in the Eastern religions. Um, my material today is from many different sources, but prim- primarily uh, the book The Heart of the Goddess by Hallie Englehart Austin. And also a wonderful resource, the Encyclopedia of Religion, which is 22 volumes on every subject in religion. It's just phenomenal. It was put together by one of the greatest scholars of world religions there is. And he picked the expert in in their field to write each article. Mircea Eliade. Um, So let's begin with Hinduism. Um, It's very important to emphasize that uh, when Westerners come and see all these different goddesses, they think, oh, this is a polytheistic culture. But actually, in the Hindu mind uh, and the Buddhist mind, there is just one divine spirit, which is called Shakti. Shakti. The, The very word means power or life force, spiritual energy. And it takes different forms. So as we are talking about this today, I'd like you to try to imagine these aspects inside you. So it was never thought that this is just a figure outside, the goddess outside, who is different from me. It's thought that these are aspects of me. Inside me there are these hidden potencies. Uh, Jung called them our archetypes. And we can develop them. So each of the goddesses represents a different quality or aspect of this divine energy. So Shakti means literally the divine power or, or energy which is in each person and also in nature. So um, it, she's talked about a great deal in the scriptures of Hinduism. In the Puranas, one scripture, it says, She who holds the universe in her womb, source of all creative energies, who conceives and bears and nourishes all that exists. She is the condensed power of energy. She is the power that burgeons forth into action. So it's very important that the divine feminine um, in the Eastern religions is seen as extremely active. It's not a passive force. It's that which brings the uh, unmanifest, still divine spirit into physical manifestation. Um, So she is also the purest consciousness and bliss inside of us. She maintains the many beings of the world. So it's this constant nourishment, a constant sustaining power that she is uh, providing within all natural things. And, And the Puranas said, there is just one mother, the Shakti. 
So there it is right there in the scriptures. There's just one mother. There's one divine energy and power. And it takes different manifestations in us and in, you see different manifestations of the goddess. But they're not seen as uh, many different gods. They're seen as many different aspects of me. Um, so the Puranas say she has many aspects and faces which are the different forms of the goddess it is said that Shakti is the ultimate source the cosmic energy of all end quote so um, she is the fecundating energy so she is that force inside of a seed which brings it forth into a tree um she is that energy inside us when we think we're completely exhausted, but actually we have this reserve of energy that we can draw on. Um, she is the entire natural universe and all of its forms. Um, unlike God the Father, who rules the world, the goddess is the world. And especially manifest in the earth, in the moon, in seeds, in rivers, and blossoming plants, and fruit. And each person is a manifestation of the Divine Mother. So, in, in contrast to other aspects of Hinduism, which say it's necessary to retreat from the world, to reject the world as maya, as delusion, uh, the alignment with the mother would be that one embraces the world, because the world is the mother. Uh, one cares for the world. One helps the world. One doesn't reject it, ignore it, or abandon it. So some of the manifestations of the mother are very nurturing and very tender and embracing, like Parvati. Uh, the mother covers you and protects you. Uh, her concerns are daily life. They're not different from your life, from the daily round of existence. They're uh, concerned with relationships and creativity and birthing new ideas and projects, as well as learning and healing and creating a healthy food. So the primacy of our daily lives is the realm for spiritual practice when we're talking about the divine feminine. It's not other. We don't retreat away from the world uh, for uh, endless periods. Um, but we are in the midst of life, nurturing, caring. Um, so the sacred is thought to be embodied in the human being. One is to relate to the universe as the mother learning to love and feed from her, to interact with her, and derive sustenance and inspiration from the mother. Um, so the major uh, Hindu scripture which describes the divine feminine is the Chandi, C-H-A-N-D-I. It's 700 verses, 
on the mother of the universe and it's found in the uh, Puranas and um, it states in that book the Chandi the universal mother says wherever there is oppression in the world I shall descend and destroy it so she's very much involved in rising up and saying no it's not okay that you abuse that person no racism is not okay sexism is, is not okay uh, abuse of the poor is not okay she's very much about rising up and changing um, the oppressive elements in society so she's very powerful and she's strong and she's this kind of purifying energy that kind of rises up and says stop it's very important to realize when that happens within us that it's sacred it's not something that um, that is considered impolite or not spiritual I mean in so many images in the uh, divine uh, manifestations around the world um, we're encouraged to be kind of passive and to accept the way things are and to be obedient but a lot of times the divine feminine will rebel and rise up against things that are not equitable or that are not fair or that are not nurturing of every person. So especially we have images of the divine feminine that see the holiness of anger. <laughs> which you hardly ever see that in any other religion the holiness of anger anger is usually seen as you know one of the seven deadly sins you know we have to stay away from anger but we have images like Kali which just see, show us the sacredness of anger and this is uh, this anger that rises up within us that says no this isn't right but she encourages us to take all that force of the anger and turn it into clear incisive effective action so you take all of that energy and you don't disperse it in rage you channel it into action so it's a wonderful affirmation of our natural anger which is seen to be holy so um, the four qualities that are uh, described in the Puranas of the divine feminine is power the shakti is power which is consciousness in all beings the second is active energy it's a force within you and within the natural world and the third is an inner loveliness beauty and grace that you naturally have that it's not that you have to take on something from the outside but you naturally have this inner grace and beauty and the fourth is compassion so in the in the worship of the divine mother we are said to try to put ourselves in alignment with that with her qualities and develop those um so uh, the many faces in Hinduism a few of them are Kali and Durga who are more of this kind of powerful angry stopping oppression sort of figures and Lakshmi who is the goddess it's the aspect of in, within you which has a sense of prosperity I, I feel abundant inside I feel this inner wealth that's the aspect of Lakshmi the aspect of Saraswati within you is the aspect 
that you all have because you're here. And that's the love of learning, the love of study, the love of art, the love of music, the love of cultural enrichment and refinement. So in one hand she has the vena, the musical instrument, in another hand she has the book, in another hand she has a, a, a work of art. So it's all that aspect within us that uh, aims for this kind of enhancement of our intellectual, our spiritual learning. And Parvati, I talked about her, that she is the lady of the mountains. She is that tender sweet, uh, peaceful, uh, very gentle aspect within us. So we have all these qualities within us, right? Sometimes I can be really raging angry at the oppression in society. Other times I can feel very peaceful and tender. Other times I really want to learn. I want to study. So all those are given names in Hinduism and seen as the divine in you and need to be emphasized. So I'd like to um, talk a little bit about Kali, because when I teach classes in the divine feminine in each of the world's religions, I always find that women are most attracted of all the forms of the divine feminine to Kali. Why is this? So let's look at Kali. So she represents the fire of purification. She is uh, angry in destroying oppression and our hindrances. So if I have an addiction to overeating, Kali is going to rise up inside me and say, why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you harming yourself? You're a a goddess. You should treat yourself with love and nurturance. So she is rising up against any of our hindrances. And... um, she keeps at it until we change. <laughs> she can be your ally. Uh, so she rises up against our ignorance. Anything that stands in the way of you coming to the divine, she will rise up and get angry about. But what she destroys is negative, And she only destroys to recreate. She dissolves what holds you back from growing spiritually as a prelude to regeneration. So she is this immense spiritual power which propels you to spiritual realization. She is the slayer of the ego, the constricted, limited part of ourselves. So she demands that you become aware of your shadow side. All those things that we're not quite so comfortable with, that we kind of repress, so we don't want to look at. She says, no, you got to look at it. She's the, the dark mother. So she encourages us to look at our dark side. And at the shadow side in society. What are we not looking at? Why do we always have to solve problems with war? Why do we have prejudice? She forces us to look at those things and deal with them and change them. Um, So rather than rejecting the shadow, she encourages us to integrate it. Find some way to heal it and then reintegrate it. So she is the spiritual warrior aspect of our nature. She is, she's dark, she's equated with the night, 
with the womb, inside the womb, with under the ocean. So from the Hindu scriptures, the Skanda and the Puranas about Kali. She is black as the petal of the blue lotus at night. Black as the night touched by the light of the moon. Kali is the essence of night. She who is called dream. She's very much connected with our dreams. She is the dark one who dispels fear. Daughter of the ocean. Mother born of righteous anger. Know that when this period of suffering and sorrow finds its natural end, Kali will be there to gather in the seeds to create a new creation. So it's all about this process of um, the snake shedding its skin because it's outmoded. It's too tight. It doesn't fit anymore. We're constantly evolving and something's keeping us back. Yet we don't want to let go, right? It's really uncomfortable to do that. So she's there with her sort of fierce fire pushing us to. So I'd like to... uh, share with you an apron that uh, Wendy gave me this morning and this is of Kali you see her dark form and her four arms so um, I love it I'm going to use it every time I cook And I'm not going to get upset when I get angry. (laughs) So she has four arms. And um, in one hand, she holds the sword of wisdom and discernment. So a lot of her anger comes from the fact that she has a real sense of discernment. This is not right. This is, needs to be improved. So it's incredible spiritual wisdom. This is wisdom coming from within. This is not book learning. The second hand, she holds scissors, giant scissors. What is she doing with the scissors? She's cutting through our unhealthy attachment. Say, I have an attachment to um, always worrying. Always worry, 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 worry. So she comes along with her scissors and cuts that attachment. She said, this is sapping your energy. It's not doing you any good. So in her third hand, she holds a severed head, which represents your ego, (laughs) your your small self, which holds you back from growing. And in the fourth hand, she holds the lotus of enlightenment, your fulfillment. She holds all these things, all of this cutting through, all of this slashing and anger is for the purpose of your enlightenment. So I have to tell you a story. When I was preparing for this lecture, I was studying my notes. And um, at the same time, my daughter just gave birth in town. So her, her baby is, was three days old. And I was trying to keep the baby quiet so the mother could sleep. And um, I had one finger in the baby's hand that she was sucking on. And the other hand, I was playing Itsy Bitsy Spider with her two-year-old daughter and trying to keep her entertained and occupied. And with the other part of me, I was trying to read my notes to prepare for this. And in the other other hand, I was uh, cleaning up the house and making food 
food and shopping and trying to assuage my daughter not to worry and not to get so upset about every little thing and try to get some sleep. So I really related to this aspect of the many aspects of giving that the Divine Mother is. That's what she does. She's constantly giving and serving. But the thing that's different about her serving is that she does it in a way that doesn't expect anything in return. Doesn't expect any kind of outcome. She's just giving. There's just this outpouring of giving. So she wears, I don't know if you can see this, uh, she wears a skirt of arms, 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 with hands on That's her skirt. <laughs> arms and hands, representing this sort of um, giving without attachment to outcome. So this also came up for me, because here I'm doing all this giving every single day, giving, giving, giving. And I'm thinking at the end of the day, God, you know, it would really be nice to get some appreciation. <laughs> really be nice to get a thank you or, you know, receiving some sort of gratitude. And there it is. You know, can we give without that expectation of uh, outcome? Just a sense of giving a free will offering. So she also has snakes with, around her neck. And uh, the snakes represent uh, transformation. So snakes are constantly shedding their skin because they're, they're too tight. They're keeping us from growing. So uh, she's always encouraging our transformation. And the fact that the Shakti is within us is encouraging. It's this constant move toward evolution within us. The snake is sacred to the goddess all around the world. And the snake, it doesn't have the same connotation as it does in a Judeo-Christian tradition. The snake means intuitive wisdom. Wisdom that comes from within. It's an innate knowledge, knowing wisdom that we have. And we're encouraged to bring that out and to trust it. Um, So this is said to be the age of Kali. This is called the Kali Yuga in Hinduism. This particular age we're in right now is the time of Kali Yuga. And that means it's really a time of a lot of darkness, a lot of slashing, a lot of difficulty, a lot of hindrance being burning up. And what we're learning is that we can let go. We, we are held when we let go and something better is going to come out of it. Uh, this is, is painful, this surrender, but because we're, we're really reluctant to give up our um, negative attachments. But we can't survive in the old forms. We need to constantly grow and, and, and give new, new uh, birth in ourselves. So they say the mother is constantly birthing in you. She's constantly birthing a new person in you. So um, she's that spiritual power within you which gives you the courage to face the fears when the slashing happens, when the changes happen, when the old ways are passing away. 
she, she allows you to challenge and let go of your pettiness and your sorrow. And she is that power within you to transform your anger and frustration into clear, powerful action. So now I'd like to look a little bit at some of the figures in Buddhism. The first is Kuan Yin. Kuan Yin uh, is everywhere in Asia. I lived in Japan, and on every corner you'll see an image of Kuan Yin. Everywhere, everywhere. She, in every home there is a statue of her, a shrine to her. So she's really uh, beloved. Kuan Yin, the name means... The one who hears the cries of the world and answers them. So she's not saying, oh, I don't want to hear that. I'm sticking my head in the sand. I'm hearing, I'm, I'm regarding the cries of the world. And she addresses them. So she's the embodiment of mercy and compassion. All embracing love, rejecting no one, no matter what they've done. The worst thief, the worst drug addict, the worst alcoholic, she does not reject you. It's this all-embracing love. She um, is known for her miraculous powers in aiding people in distress. And we are supposed to be in alignment with her and mimic her qualities. So when we see someone in distress, we are supposed to give in compassion. Take care of people. Uh, She is portrayed as a gentle mother with a child in her arms. So we're encouraged to develop her qualities which everybody has in potential. And those qualities are first, compassion. Compassion doesn't mean feeling sorry for. It means feeling with. We're equals and I'm feeling with you. It's empathy. The second is a deep tranquility. Deep, deep, deep tranquility. It's such a peace. You see in her images that she's draped in white and she's on a white lotus and the full moon is in the background and she's by a pond which is still and calm. So it's all these images which are giving us this sense that we have, even though we don't feel it right now, but we have this resource inside us that is deep tranquility and that this aspect of, of Kuan Yin. The, the third is the aspect of service, that she spends all of her time serving human beings, those in need. And the fourth is radiance. There is a radiance filling you and beaming out, and that is the aspect of Kuan Yin. And the fifth is gentle strength. So she's really the polar opposite of Kali, in a sense. She is a gentle strength and very peaceful, but that strength is powerful. Uh, so it's the, the practice in that part of the world is to become like Kuan Yin, become like her qualities. And then you will also become fertile, fecund, peaceful, and powerful as she is. This beautiful um, statement in the scriptures it says about her. We are to become like her, a lamp to those who cannot see clearly. 
a sunshade to those consumed by the heat of craving or aversion. A stream for those who are spiritually thirsty. And one who takes away all fear from those who are in anxiety. And a healer to the sick and a mother to the unhappy. So you can see there's this emphasis that she's not somewhere else up in the heaven. She's inside you, giving with your arms, giving with your heart. So she also is pictured with a thousand arms. She is um, mercy embodied from from the Lotus Sutra. There is no place where she does not manifest herself. She is compassion, wondrous as a great cloud, pouring spiritual rain like nectar, quenching the fires of distress. So we could see that today with the rain pouring down. She's like the compassion that pours like rain, just soothing the distress of our drought. And um, the, the fifth um, very interesting concept of the Divine Mother is the Prajna Paramita. And she's called the Mother of all Buddhas. So she is really where the Buddha got, her, got his enlightenment. She's the source of enlightenment in us also. So rather than being pictured with a form, she's really that aspect inside us, which is Prajna. Prajna is intuitive, innate wisdom. Not from book learning, but from our own indwelling wisdom. Paramita means the highest perfection. So it's the highest perfection of wisdom and inner knowing. So this is essential to cultivate in any enlightenment experience. Um, we, do, we develop that by cultivating uh, mindfulness, by cultivating the ability to concentrate, to create a sense of inner calm in us. So we do this all the while as functioning in the world and aiding those whose consciousness is blinded by greed, hatred, and delusion. So there isn't an idea that it's otherworldly. It's very much maintaining this uh, deep consciousness while in the midst of service. So prajna is connected with upaya, which is skillful means. So it's not just the wisdom, but it's also having skillful means of executing that wisdom. So it's not an inactive kind of wisdom. Uh, so nothing can stain her. No matter what, what's happened to you in your life, whether you've been abused, whether um, you've been an addict, or uh, um, any, any kind of uh, trauma victim, there is this element within you that is completely unstained, untouched by any kind of um, horrible experience. And it's always the shelter that we can find in her. And she encourages us to take safety between the wings of enlightenment. So she is the 
aspect within us, which is the organ of vision. That's our ability to see a situation or a person, not from its presenting appearance, but from our spiritual eyes. So I may look at somebody who um, seems to me like a schlepper who just walked into the room, you know, really unkempt. But with my spiritual eyes, I can see his gifts. I can see his potential. I can see he has a heart. I can see there's, there's possibility there. So it's always being able to see any kind of situation, not with its just physical manifestation, but with the possibilities that are innate in there. Um, she disperses gloom and darkness of delusion. Uh, so she guides to the spiritual path those who have strayed into an unhelpful way. So she's that part of you that if you're involved in a kind of a habit that you really uh, don't like, she'll be that part of you that'll say, hey, you know, why don't you go to church and be part of a fellowship today instead of taking a drink or why don't you read that uplifting spiritual book instead of just uh, sitting all night with in front of uh, sitcoms you know she's that part that moves us to the spiritual path and she brings about the ten powers of the buddha within you and she can't be crushed, no matter what you do, no matter what you've been through. She's always there, protecting the unprotected and giving you a sense of self-confidence. So this can be an important aspect because we can feel like we don't have self-esteem or we don't have self-confidence. But there is this aspect within you, Prajna Paramita, that is full of self-confidence, full of that trust of you and out of believing in you. So um, this is a wonderful line from the scripture Prajna Paramita Sutra. Envisioning her thus, one should say the act of identification. Such is the lady Prajna Paramita, even so am I. Such as I am, so is the lady Prajnaparamita. So we really get this sense from this sutra that we need to have an identification with these forms of the divine feminine. Even all, all guys, too. This is not just women. That, there's, that These are aspects within you that seeing her and hearing about her may cause them to arise, awaken. Uh, the sixth one is Tara, who is very beloved in uh, Buddhism. Her name means she who leads across. So it's like she who leads us across the difficult waters, the, the waters of samsara. She is the savior of those encountering the seven hindrances of ego, delusion, rage, envy, wrong view, greed, envy, unhealthy attachment, and doubt. So she, beautiful story of her birth. She was born out of the tear from the Buddha of compassion. 
So Avalokitesvara is the Buddha of compassion. And he, looking at us and our suffering, issues a tear of compassion and it drops on the earth and Tara is born. So that's her essential nature is this um, saving, restoring uh, compassion. Uh, she is this huge divine force within you, which gives you illumination and enlightenment. So we have this tremendous support for our spiritual growth within us. But all of this is sort of latent. Uh, we may have inklings of it, but by learning about these different forms of the divine feminine, it tends to ignite it in us. Um, she gives us the knowledge of non-duality and that is that samsara samsara means this endless round of suffering and patterns that we are in like I'm always in this pattern of staying up too late and then being tired all the next day or I'm always in this pattern of being worried about everything and I can't get out of it or I'm always in, in this addictive pattern of criticizing people or judging people in my mind and that's samsara it's not necessarily the round of birth and death and you just want to get off of it it's, it's this round of suffering that occurs with our patterns. And so she comes and says, actually, this round that you're on, there is nirvana in it. You can find nirvana in it. Nirvana is samsara, which is so different from our Western way of thinking. This idea of non-duality, that we could actually see nirvana in the midst of our daily lives, in the midst of untying these patterns that we have, untying our tangles. That is the very act of nirvana. Um, so she is called the Buddha emanator she is where the Buddha came from all Buddhas come from her all Bodhisattvas come from her she is called our chief guide and our way shower she's called the way shower so rather than thinking that we always have to be looking outside for guidance always have to be consulting someone or going to a book we actually have this within us a, a guidance a, a way shower within and she's called my soul mother my soul mother so if we feel like our mother is maybe not the healthiest woman in the world we can say well that my soul mother is really Tara or the divine feminine within who is always nurturing me and caring me and uplifting me so uh, I can have compassion for my earthly mother who maybe was wounded herself she is called the guarding life giver and savior and leader and my true doctor she is the jewel of liberation within me She's the bearer of wisdom that I can always draw on within me. She's called the lamp, this great light that I have inside. And she's my clear revealer of my own inner beauty. Her face is a hundred full moons in autumn. And her radiance blazes 
like a thousand stars, dispelling the darkness of ignorance from the scriptures. So, does anybody have any comments or questions? I just have to add one more thing about our beloved Tara. She also achieved enlightenment and refused to be uplifted and stayed on earth. So that's why she's the leader of bodhisattvas. So if we want to, we're all bodhisattvas. Yeah. Everybody, Everybody is said to be a bodhisattva in potentiality. And that's supposed to be our aim, not necessarily to leave into uh, some exalted state, but to stay here and address the problems that we have. Yeah, definitely. It's a good question. Isn't there a goddess that uh, causes all this distress and worry that these other goddesses are fighting against? You know, it just seems like there needs, because that's part of reality too. And if the goddess is everything, there's got to be some god there that causes all the problems. That's really a great question. Um, I think the fact that the goddess has given us free will makes us able to choose that which is not divine. We choose worry, we choose depression, we choose anxiety, we choose to be self-destructive in some way. And that's the freedom that we're given. We're not, we're not automatons, we're not robots. And uh, she, she wants us to have that freedom to choose. So I think it's that more than it being a goddess within you. Then it, it's sort of more authenticating that and you don't want to let go of it. <laughs> so I... I think that uh, she's there to help you get over that, not necessarily to cause it. Yeah. The fact that we have free will. The fact that we... um, But we also have free will. We have ability to choose against... Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we can choose to be uh, against the changes, against uh, enlightenment. And um, that is where she comes in as our resource to be able to break through it. At least that's what, that's what the teachings say. Yes. Hi. Hello. Now we know all about the divine feminine. What about the divine masculine? Mm, yes, well, we know a lot about that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there's so much in our culture about the divine masculine. This is more uh, trying to balance that, you know. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, that, you know, there's two different sides. You know, there's the divine masculine and the divine feminine. Maybe the divine has no gender. So God the Father rules over all that? What? So God the Father rules all over these wonderful qualities. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that's I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm just saying what what world religions teaches. That's a source of uh, patriarchy. What is the divine God the Father rules over all of the divine feminine? I, I don't think that I don't think that's necessarily uh, what's taught. I think there's a side by side nature, a side by maybe maybe our tendency to want to dominate and to rule over 
is um, what causes patriarchy, not necessarily the Divine Father. <laughs> it's such a big question. I've given courses on the origin of patriarchy, so <laughs> we can talk further. Yeah. Yeah. Yes? Couldn't help but notice the similarity of the image of Kali and uh, the corn maiden in Native American culture with the, the food source. Um, that's just an observation with the, the link that's known, uh, the land bridge, that um, proves that Native Americans arose from Asia. It's, I just thought that was curious that there's some similarity between the, really? the images. Um, and the other thing I noticed this morning, just a comment. In the Chronicle, there's a, papal, um, a piece in this morning that commented about the chaos in the Board of Supervisors because there was no mother that was on the board. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you said um, this was the age of Kali. I was wondering, was is there an age that Kali wasn't? <laughs> Well, I think it means she's predominant. She was always there. Uh, It's just now she's really come to the fore with all the issues and problems we're having. So I think um, I really do appreciate that um, aspect of this age being the age of Kali as well because, uh, you know, it it is painful, as you said, to, to, to go through the trauma of, what's occurring right now and yet there is a fecundity um, within it by like um, recognizing painfully um, our own privileges and that others may not have that and then at the same time eliminating the notion of other you know that we are precisely the same and yet we need to, you know, deal with linguistic ways of alienation. And so I, mm-hmm. I really did appreciate the fact that, you know, this is a, a tearing down in order to create. That's it. And, and that is, you know, to me, there, there's an aspect of Kuan Yin and of Tara in that as well. Because true mothering... You know, true compassion means honesty and the ability to, you know, accept, to have the courage to go into painful situations and to stay there long enough to understand how much those are abundant situations. That's great. That's great. Well, I'm really grateful for the, the talk. And for bringing you. together all those aspects. Thank it you. was my pure pleasure. Yeah, at the same time I was holding the baby, the newborn baby, and playing with the two-year-old and making food. It was a perfect time to be doing a lecture on the Divine Mother. <laughs> Go ahead. A perfect lead-in. Um, give us personal examples of your struggle, maybe in your travels or just mundane uh, challenges um, speaking to the idea of the polarity dance seeming to quicken more back to back you know in our personal experience lately more high more low more high more low more challenge more 
defeat, uh, kind of giving up, fighting back. Can you uh, speak to your experience also and that quickening? That's really a great question. I see it everywhere. Um, uh, look at the collapse of the stock market that just happened and so many people losing their savings, so many people being destitute and, and you know, losing all their, their values and um, being resourceful, saying, well, okay, we may have lost that, but we still have each other. We still have our qualities of love, of generosity, of caring, of peacefulness, of connecting. And how can we work together in this community to form new ways of earning a living? So we have the development of Airbnb, people turning their homes into bed and breakfasts. We have um, Lyft. Uh, instead of taxis, people are using their cars to give people rides around. And people are being very creative about forming different businesses to sort of out of the shards, out of the ashes. How do we put together those shards? Like you were saying, to see that possibility, being very honest, looking at the situation directly and truth-telling and saying, okay, what's still here that we can use to bring together to form something completely new that maybe is more in alignment with, with what I really want to do? A lot of people gave up their jobs. I know my brother was uh, one of the heads of AIG, you know, which is horrible insurance company that was completely corrupt. And he started telling the truth to the government officials. And so then he was uh, politely given early retirement. And now he does what he really wants to do. And he, and he bought a, a cabin in the high mountains of the Colorado. And now he gives people tours all over the Colorado Rockies and has sort of a, a bed and breakfast and he's so happy and before he was miserable even though he was making millions of dollars a year so um, you, can, you can think about all the different examples you've probably had in your own life it's certainly not easy right? It's not easy. Sometimes you feel like the whole rug has been pulled out from underneath you and everything is crumbling. But also, sometimes when that happens, don't you also find your, your sources of support? Don't you also ask yourself, well, what is it I really want to be doing? Maybe I didn't like that job anyway. Maybe I can create something that's a better fit for me. So that relationship didn't work out and we got a divorce. Maybe I can find another way of life with another person that is much more fitting for me and thriving. So um, very much what you said of this kind of deconstruction for the purpose of finding the shards the pottery in broken shards all over the ground and reconstructing a new vessel that is shaky and it's new and it's not maybe as wealthy as the other one, but it maybe fits more for me. Maybe it's more to my taste. So um, we're, we're, we're doing that now. Everybody's doing that in their own way. Yes. Oh. oh. <laughs> Sorry. So, I'll talk to you afterwards. So thanks very much. Um, going through my own processes, I like the way you invoke the idea of 
embodying the sacred within us. Yes. And then having a sense of, or uh, calling upon our own inner decision-making power yes. to choose to notice it. Um, because before listening to you, I didn't really think of it like that. I always thought I had to go get some external source of help. We do that, yeah. But where is my inner, where does it come in from within me? Exactly. And, um, but one thing I want, was hoping you would say is, is that what you meant by nirvana is in the su- cycle of suffering? No, not the cycle of suffering. Could you the elaborate? Samsara is the cycle of our everyday lives where we have certain patterns, certain negative patterns and, and positive patterns, but we just keep repeating them. So nirvana is when we're able to break that negative pattern and find ultimate fulfillment, enlightenment. Be able to serve with a greater energy without so much attachment, without needing to be thanked like I did. You know, that sense of um, I can liberate myself from this pattern. I don't have to be trapped in this hamster wheel. That's free will. But you're, sometimes you also, you know, need to draw on these supports from within. The sense that there is the Shakti within me. I'm full of power. I am energy itself. Rather than thinking, oh, I'm just so tired. I'm so weak. I don't have any power. You know, it's all just so overwhelming. So that's one way of looking at it. And the other way is that you have all of these goddesses within you have all these sources of power and resources that are completely waiting to be drawn on so one thing that I really found fascinating about uh, teaching a class in all the different forms of the divine feminine was um, after a whole semester of being exposed to these different forms of the divine feminine which are in us I just watched people's lights turn on You know, they really had the sense of their own wealth, of their own giftedness, of all these qualities are within me, and I didn't even know it. So that's one thing that this work can do. Hannah, congratulations on becoming a new grandmother. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And uh, we hope you'll come back again next year. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. (laughs) Thank you.